The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. I don't know about you, but um, I have a very hard time waiting for stuff. And uh, as I was thinking about this sermon and how patient I'm not, it became very apparent to me. Uh, Yesterday, I I ran into the uh, grocery store. My mom was in the car with the kids, and I ran in. I was trying to be quick, and one of the things I had to do was run up to the deli counter. And I get up there, and there's a woman with the, is it a butcher, I guess? The guy who wears the doctor's coat behind the thing. Um, she's talking with the butcher, and she's taking her time. She's sampling. She's making decisions. She's thinking things through. And I'm in my head, not out loud, thinking, what are you doing? Don't you know the rules? Like, you need to have it all planned out. I mean, there's lots of, lots of examples I could give you in my life of where I hate waiting, where I hate um, taking longer. You know, the, the Lego Frio bridge was, is out, and I remember them breaking news, you know. The bridge is out indefinitely, and I'm just sitting there thinking, why don't you just put up one of those signs that says, like, bump ahead, right? Like, just, just drive at your own risk. Like, I'm willing to take the risk to save 10 minutes, um, at my office, I have this, this drawer full of microwave popcorn. Whenever I get hungry, I put popcorn in the microwave. And like two and a half minutes is way too long for me. So I put it in. I go back to work. And when it's done, I come back and I get the popcorn and I start eating. Um, I'm convinced that anyone that uses charcoal grills are far more godly than I am. Uh, because I could not imagine waiting 15 minutes to start cooking my food, much less the time that it takes to cook it. And so I have a very difficult time waiting. And those are just little tiny things. You could ask my wife, she could give you a far longer list, but it is hard to wait. It's especially hard to wait on God. I mean, it's hard to wait for people. It's hard to wait on charcoal, but it's really hard to wait on God, especially when you're going through a time of suffering or when you're going through a time of affliction. Maybe because there is some sort of stress in your job situation. Maybe there's a stress in a marriage or in a relational situation. Maybe there's financial stress in your life. And every night you pray, Lord God, please deliver me from this situation. God, please give me some relief. It is so hard to wait on God. And so many times we take that time of waiting for deliverance, waiting for relief, And we just view it as this hovering pattern in which we don't really do anything with it except just wait. And we get anxious and nervous and fearful, angry. And so the question I want to ask is, if you are in that time of waiting, whether it be now or in the future, waiting for God to give you some relief, to give you deliverance from something, what should you be doing in that time? Is that a fruitful time? Is that a time where you could be growing closer to God? We're going to continue the story of the life of Joseph. If you would, please open up to Genesis chapter 40. It's page 33 in the Red Bible, page 66 in the Children's Bible. Just to catch you up to speed, uh, Joseph uh, is the favorite son of his father Israel. He has been sold into slavery 
He comes down to Egypt and is sold into Potiphar's house. Potiphar is one of the officials of Pharaoh. Joseph raises to power in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife seduces Joseph because he is an attractive man. Um, He is wrongfully accused of attempted rape. He is thrown in jail. He gets the favor of the warden. He is put in charge of the prison. And that's where we pick up today's story. Joseph is in the prison in charge of all of these men. And that's where we pick it up. Let's pray before we dig into God's word. Lord, thank you that your timing is not our timing. Thank you that you have a plan greater than what we can see. God, help us to see what we can be doing, what we can be, what what our heart perspective can be in the times of waiting. We're waiting for deliverance. We're waiting for relief. Help us to that end today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's start. Genesis chapter 40, verse 1. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. Remember back how God gave Joseph dreams. Not just one dream, but he gave him two dreams. And in the dreams, he told Joseph that he would be an authority over his brothers, over his parents, that he wouldn't be in a position of great responsibility. And so Joseph knows the destination. He knows where he is headed towards, but he does not know the journey to get there. He doesn't know the path to get there. And to be honest, it is a path that none of us could probably imagine, that none of us could create in our own imagination. But it's a path that God has for him. It reminds me of the proverb in 69, Proverbs 69, where it says, In his heart a man plants his course, but the Lord determines his step. Joseph would not have planned life this way. But Joseph is a shining example for us of God's gracious providence in our lives. You may ask, what is providence? In the Westminster Larger Catechism, it gives us an amazing answer to this question. The question goes like this, what are God's works of providence? And then here's the answer, and I'll read it slowly because it is so rich. God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing of who? All his creatures, ordering them and all their actions for what end? 
to his own glory. God's sovereign will, his providence shines in this story of Joseph. We see God's providence both in good times and in bad times, both when men are acting righteously and unrighteously. We see God's providence both in Joseph's life and in the life of all the people around him. Remember God's work so far in the life of Joseph. God providentially uses the favoritism of his father to turn Joseph's brothers against him. God providentially sends Joseph to go check on his brothers. His brothers providentially go to Dothan. God providentially provides a man to tell Joseph that they went to Dothan. God God sends Joseph to Dothan. His brothers see him coming. They want to kill him. But two brothers say, no, let's not do that. Let's earn some money out of this. Let's sell him into slavery. God providentially brings these Midianite traders through who purchased Joseph as a slave. He providentially brings them down to Egypt. Joseph is providentially sold into the house of Potiphar. Joseph raises to power. Joseph is providentially and unjustly accused of attempted rape. He's providentially put into this royal prison for royal officials. And then we see God's providence continues as he providentially sends this royal cupbearer and royal baker into the prison with him. And then God providentially gives them these dreams. And he providentially leaves them without any of the Egyptian palm readers or whatever they would be to interpret these dreams. And so they are left wanting. And God providentially places Joseph into that situation to interpret their dreams. You see, God has been orchestrating all of Joseph's life and the life of everyone about him to bring forth his glory, to bring forth his story of redemption. It's like one of those old watches. If you open it up or an old clock, you see all of these gears kind of going in different directions, right? But all of them working together to move the minute hand and the hour hand. Or it's like an orchestra. I don't know if you've ever gone to see an orchestra, but if you arrive early, they'll be practicing and it sounds like a train wreck, right? Like a train wreck of, uh, of orchestra buses or something. But you hear this and it's just, it sounds horrible. But then the conductor gets up and he orchestrates it. He leads them to provide this beautiful song. God is in control of all things. And if he is in control of all things, it means he has a purpose for everything in our life, even when we are delayed in our desires, even when suffering endures, even when God's timing is not our timing. He has a purpose for those things. In your life, in my life, in Joseph's life, in the life of the Midianite traders, in the life of Pharaoh, God is this unseen conductor. By his providence, he's governing all his creatures in all their actions, orchestrating everything for his glorious song of redemption. There are high points, there are low points, but God's providence triumphs over them all. You know, there is a great comfort in depending upon God's providence. Comfort knowing that there are no accidents in this life. There's great comfort to know that there is no luck. It's not just by chance that things happen. 
that there is a divine purpose. There is no coincidence. My one friend would say, coincidence is just God working incognito. Everything in your life, good and bad, riches and poverty, sickness and health, is under the sovereign plan of God's divine purpose. And so in those times, when we are waiting on God, we're called to depend on his providence. We're also called to continue to speak God's truth. When we are waiting, when we are suffering, it doesn't mean that we take a break from following God, from pursuing God, from proclaiming God. But we continue to be faithful to him. Verse 8. They said to him, we have dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. We see in Joseph's response a little bit about his theology. One of the commentators puts it this way. He says, Joseph knew God and knew that he knew God. Moreover, he had such confidence in this knowledge that he fully expected God to make his counsel known to him in regard to his being able to interpret the cupbearer's dream. You know, it's interesting when Joseph responds to the cupbearers, he is saying there is only one God. The one God is the one God who gives dream. He is the dream giver. But he also understands that he is in a special covenantal relationship with this God, that he has a special line of communication with this God, and that through him, God will reveal the interpretation to these, of these dreams. And so we see, first off, Joseph speaks the truth of God by interpreting the chief cupbearer's dream. Look in verse 9 with me. It says, So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, there was a vine before me. And on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. You know, given the chief cupbearer's dream, there could be a lot of interpretations. But Joseph gives a very specific, a very decisive interpretation. You know, Joseph isn't like a palm reader or a fortune cookie or a fortune teller. Joseph doesn't say sometime this is going to happen. He says in three days, three days, you will be raised up and you'll be restored to your position as cupbearer. Joseph is so confident in his interpretation, he even goes on to make a request. Verse 14, he says, Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. Joseph's request is contingent on the fact that his interpretation of the dream given from God is precise, that it's true. Goes on, we see Joseph speaks the truth of God about his unjust imprisonment. Verse 14 again, he says, Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit, which also can be interpreted prison. Up to this point, we don't 
hear much verbally from Joseph about the injustice committed against him. In some ways, Joseph seems a little bit oblivious to us, like an like over-optimistic optimist. Someone who's kind of ignorant of what has happened in his life. Someone who maybe is out of touch with reality. But when we look at verse 15, it confirms to us that Joseph sees with a clear lens the injustice that has been committed against him. Joseph understood that he was a victim of other sins. He says, get me out of this house for I indeed was stolen out of the house, out of the land of Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Joseph is realistic about the injustice in his life. He knows that people have sinned against him greatly, have done horrible things against him. And yet everything that we've seen from his life, what he has proclaimed with his conduct is that he continues to be faithful to God, even in the midst of suffering and injustice. And so we see Joseph speak the truth of God by interpreting the cupbearer's dream. He speaks the truth of God about his own injustice. Joseph also speaks the truth of God when interpreting the chief cupbearer's, the chief baker's dream. Look at verse 16 with me. It says, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. Now, the chief baker hears the interpretation that the chief cupbearer gets. He hears that's a favorable interpretation. The baker is kind of nervous. He's anxious. What does this dream mean? What's going to happen to me? He's kind of scared. And so he says, you know, Joseph gave the cupbearer a good interpretation. So maybe he'll give me a good interpretation. Then my, my fears will be calmed. My fears will be calmed. Yes. Verse 18, Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. I'm not so sure this was the interpretation he was looking for. Could you imagine how awkward it was the next three days? Joseph would bring the food and the water to them. And how's it going? Not so good. You said I was going to become a bird feeder. Like that's not, that's not comforting me. Joseph was willing to tell God's truth no matter how difficult it was, no matter how unpopular it was. Joseph was not afraid to deliver the whole counsel of God, both the good news and the bad news. We see this in the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. In Acts 20, 25, he says this, And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. He's talking to the church at Ephesus. It says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Not just the easy parts, not just the fluffy parts, the whole counsel of God. I don't know about you, but it is difficult for me to tell people unpopular truths. Especially if, like Joseph, my own reputation or my own life might be dependent on it. Hard truths are hard to tell people. That's why they are called hard truths. They might cost you a friendship. They might cost you a promotion. They might cost you a number of things. 
But we are called to speak God's truth, whether it's good news or bad news. You know, we live in a world that is full of false prophets. There's this thing going on called postmodernism in which truth is relative. What is true for you is true for you. What is true for me is true for me. But if there is a God, wouldn't God have a monopoly on truth? Wouldn't God know what is true? Wouldn't his idea of truth be so much more valid than our creation of truth? As Christians, we are called to declare God's truth with our lives and with our words. Now, could that be through interpreting a dream? Maybe. But this seems like something that God used much more in the Old Testament when Scripture was rare, when there wasn't a lot to talk about. But the truth of God that we know for sure is the Word of God, the Scriptures. This is the truth that we are to declare. This is the whole counsel of God that Paul shared with the Ephesians. We are called to study it, love it, meditate on it, preach it, teach it, share it. I was telling a friend this past, well, a few weeks ago, that I was going to a conference out in uh, Seattle, and I was very excited. I'm going in November to this conference. I'm very excited. There are six main speakers, and I've heard of all of them. There's one there that is really popular, and I didn't know much about him. Um, And so I said, I don't know about this guy. I don't know his theology. I don't know what he thinks. I don't know what he believes. And my friend said, oh, he's, he's a really solid guy. He's very orthodox in his beliefs. He, I said, okay, does, does he believe in hell? And he said, yes. And I said, does he believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? And my friend said, yes. And I said, I like him already. See, I'm not, I'm not excited about hard truths. Truths that are that cut against the grain of culture. But what I wanted to know is, did this guy fear God or did he fear man? Would he tell me the hard truths, even if I don't want to hear it? Or does he try to form his theology to be palatable to society? Does he form a theology in which people will accept everything he says? You see, it's so easy to say, Jesus loves you. God loves you. God cares for you. God loves your longings for him, no matter what your faith is. But it's hard to tell them the truth that apart from Christ, we absorb the punishment that we deserve, that we deserve hell forever. That is the bad news. That is a hard news, but it leads to the good news that God has sent his son Christ to save us from our sins. You know, we look at Satan in the garden, and this is what he does. He tries to give them something encouraging. He says to Adam and Eve, did God really say this? You know, you might hear it in today's culture. My God would never tell me not to do this. My God would never tell me to do this. But we are called to proclaim the truth of God, no matter what it is, good news, bad news, hard news, whatever it is. In Ephesians 4.15, it tells us that we are called to speak the truth in love. Now, For some of you, you hear speak the truth and you say, yes, this vindicates me running over people with words. And it's easy for you to speak truth, but not with love. You're like a bull in a china shop, right? But some of you don't speak truth, you just love. And the reality is, is if you aren't speaking truth, if you are only loving in your mind, it's not actually love. Because true love will tell 
truth to people because we love them and we care for them. And so we are called in the midst of suffering to continue to proclaim God's truth, to depend on God's providence. And finally, we are called to wait on God's timing. Now, I know I should probably clarify this because to a certain degree, uh, you have to wait on God's timing, right? You have no choice but to wait on God's timing. But what you do in the midst of that waiting is important. We are called to wait on God patiently, trustingly, peacefully, hopefully, restingly. Because sometimes God's timetable is not our timetable. Sometimes his deliverance is delayed. Look at verse 20. It says, On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to him. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. First off, we see that Joseph's relationship with God is validated, right? He, was, he interpreted the dream very specifically. He said on the third day, the chief cupbearer would be restored to his position. On the third day, the chief baker would be put to death. He'd be hung from a tree more specifically. All of these happen to the detail, which validates that Joseph is a man of God. Joseph is a man who has a special relationship with God. And so we see that validation. But then we get to that last verse. And I don't know about you, but to me, it just sticks out. And it's painful to read. It says, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Could you imagine after the interpretation comes true? I'm guessing in the prison, they would have heard the news of what happened to, their, to the people that were living next to them. That one was hung, one was put back in a place of authority. Every time the front door of the prison opened up, I could imagine Joseph getting up with excitement to see, is this, is this the cupbearer coming back to get me? Is this Pharaoh who is coming to get me out of prison? But as the, as the days turns into weeks and turns into months, I'm sure Joseph got up a little less quickly. His excitement maybe turned into sadness and discouragement, maybe even anger because he'd been forgotten. Many of you know what it's like to be forgotten, to be unappreciated for the things that you have done. And while we empathize and sympathize and can relate to Joseph, we also have to recognize that we too are guilty of not remembering. Time and again, we forget God. Now you may ask, what do you mean I forget God? How do I forget God? We forget God every time we sin against him. Moses, who wrote Genesis 40 that we just went through, later in Deuteronomy, gives this speech to God's people. And he says this, Deuteronomy 8, verse 11. He says, take care, lest you forget the Lord your God. How? By not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full, have built good houses and live in them. And when you herd, when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver 
and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, not in a good way, in a haughty way, in an arrogant way. Lest your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, up out of the house of slavery. This is kind of the American story, isn't it? When you're poor, when you're needy, you go to God, you ask him for help, but when you're rich, when you have lots of money, when you're comfortable, when you have your kids, when you have your wife, when you have your picket fence, God gets crowded out of your life. You become too busy for him. He becomes a secondary thought. Moses is saying, don't forget the Lord who saved you. Remember the Lord by obeying him. You see, if we obey the Lord God, it means that we not only remember him in our minds. You know, I'm, I'm certain that the Israelites did not forget God intellectually. I mean, they, they knew the story of the Lord God. It's not like they woke up one morning and said, who was that? What happened? But they forgot him in his heart, in their hearts. And that's why they turned away from him. That's why they committed idolatry. That's why they went after their sin. And so God is calling us to remember him in our hearts. That it would transform everything that we do for him. We time and again forget God in our hearts and we sin against him. But the good news is that even when we forget God, God does not forget his people. We are always in his heart. We see this throughout the Old Testament time and time and time again. But I just want to give you one story. Most of you, whether you know the Bible or not, are probably familiar with the story of Noah. With the story of Noah, there is great wickedness on the earth. And so God decides to wipe out creation. But he decides to preserve Noah. And so he has Noah build this ark and he brings his family into the ark. Noah comes into the ark. He brings animals into the ark, of course. And it starts raining. And it rains. And it rains. And it rains. For 40 days, it's raining. I, I look at that and I just think, man, that's like winter in Wisconsin. being Cabin fever, like being stuck in one place. So Noah's there with his family. Water covers the earth. There is no one else. I mean, it must have felt so lonely for 40 days. I'm sure on that 39th day, or at least if it was me, I'd be like, God, hello, are you there? So lonely. Have you forgotten? And then we get to Genesis 8. Verse 1, it says this, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. You know, as we look at Genesis 40, and it ends with that verse about Joseph being forgotten, that he wasn't remembered. As you read into the next chapter, look at the next verse, 41.1, it says this. I'm just going to read the first part. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed. Joseph was in prison for two more years until Pharaoh had a dream and he needed someone to come and interpret it. It was all a part of God's providential, sovereign plan to raise Joseph up at the right time to save hundreds and thousands of people. And so when God seems silent, when deliverance seems 
delayed, when we become desperate, that is when God shows us that he does not forget his people, that he remembers us. Deuteronomy 4, 31 says this, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. This is our great hope that God will not forget his covenant, that he will not forget his people, that he will indeed deliver us from our sin. Our souls, souls long to know that God will remember us. You know, between the Old Testament and New Testament, the books of the Old Testament, the books of the New Testament, there is 400 years of silence. 400 years where the people of God are probably asking questions like, did God give up on us? Did God forget us? And yet he shows us that he reminds us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, by remembering his covenant that he had given through Ezekiel, through Jeremiah, of the Savior that is to come. And then when Christ goes to the cross, we read that there are two criminals next to him. And one of the criminals who was hanging there railed against him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we, we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He recognizes that Jesus is the Savior. He recognizes that Christ is suffering, but does not deserve it. That it is an unjust situation. And he says this, verse 42. Jesus, remember me. Remember me. When you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is saying, I won't forget you. I won't forget you, but I will deliver you. It's true that God's timing is not often our timing. Joseph, I'm sure, wanted out of prison right away. We know that by his request. But in God's gracious timing, two years had passed, and God delivered him and brought him up out of the pit. There is no need to get anxious. There is no need to fear or to force the situation because we are reminded here that God has not forgotten you. God will not forget you. He remembers his people. He remembers his covenant forever. Let me end with this. Yesterday, we actually moved to a different house. And... Um, it was kind of a quick move. We'd been talking to the seller for, I don't know, maybe two months, but then the deal was finalized last week. And so we took our kids over to the house to see how they would respond, if they would like it or not, or if they would be sad. And so we took our kids over, and they seemed to really enjoy the house. And so all this week, my little girl, Carissa, every day would say, I want to go to the new house. I want to go to the new house. And she meant she wants to move in. She wants to go live there. She was so excited for it. She wanted to, to move on. But we would say, no, Carissa, you know, we're not ready yet. We still have to pack, put things in boxes. Every day, I want to go to the new house. No, Carissa, we're waiting till Saturday because we know we can, people are off work and can help us move and we can't do it all by ourselves. 
I want to go to the new house. See, we knew that if we got to the new house and we didn't have beds and we didn't have clothing, the new house would not be so special. (laughs) So we asked Carissa, even though she had a different timing than us, to trust our judgment and trust that we love her. Some of you are waiting on God to deliver you, waiting for God to relieve you from what's going on in your life. But we know that God is sovereign, that he is in control of all things, that he has a glorious plan of redemption. And you may not know what it is, but you can trust his character and you can trust that he loves you. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray for anyone here who is mad at you, who is angry with you because their timing is not your timing. People who are suffering, people who are anxious, people who are fearful. Lord God, I pray that you would give them this great comfort that you have not forgotten that you are in control of all things, God, and you're working all things together for their good and for your glory. Pray that they would rest in that comfort even though they don't know what their next step is going to be. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.